Coming up, what an excellent day for the rosary. Well, howdy folks, and welcome to Minute 102 of The Exorcist Minute, a show where we endeavor to examine, extrapolate, and excavate The Exorcist, minute by terrifying minute. My name is Lester Ryan Clark. And I'm Keenan Diaz. And we'll be your holy guides on this journey through what some have called the scariest movie of all time. Okay, so our minute begins with Father Marin praying the rosary. And it ends with Father Karras running down the steps outside Georgetown University, as Marin's voice says, especially important is the warning to avoid conversations with the demon. Yeah, Karras, you know, the thing you've been doing for half the movie. <laughs> but no, I think we're being uh, a little hard on Demi right now. Um, he's out there running around, getting the supplies for Marin. Uh, let's give him a break, and let's go back to the top of this minute, which opens with a really nice shot. It's another one of those... Every frame of painting shots. We got a close-up of Marin's hand as he clutches a rosary. We can hear that he is saying the Hail Mary. Uh, for non-Catholics, this is a, a prayer to the Virgin Mary. It goes like this. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. And that is actually, I think, the first prayer that I ever learned um, and one that is burned into my brain. I can recite that at the drop of a hat. Um, that and the Lord's Prayer, um, which we'll also see in this movie. So I have the Lord's Prayer burn into my uh, into my muscle memory, but they keep changing it, it feels. They change it like <laughs> once since I was a kid. And it's like, how do they keep doing this? Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, and then, yeah, you know, I learned the uh, I learned um, a Hail Mary because I did get to confessional, uh, my uh -huh. first confessional, but I only did one once. So, uh, yeah. <laughs> and he was so, yeah, you go. Um, I forget how old you are when you do confession, your first confession. But oh, yeah, actually, I'm. I, it's I one of the too. sacrements. Yeah. So mm -hmm. I, I had done my baptism and then my first communion and then my first um, confession. Mm -hmm. And then that's as far as I got. Mm. So and then, you know, at your first confession, you're like, whatever, seven or eight. And you're like, what right. sins do you have? And you, you don't have any. <laughs> <laughs> and you're like, oh, I guess I, I got mad once or whatever. And then mm -hmm. the, the father is like, OK, you got to do 10 Hail Marys. And so he gives you homework to do. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so then I never went back. <laughs> <laughs> So you never turned in your 10 Hail Marys, I, I never turned them in. And so oh. it was just it's such a shame spiral of never doing my 10 mm -hmm. Hail Marys. I just never went back. Yeah. And see, because uh, guilt is built into our religion, folks, um, <laughs> that that uh, that's, that interest compounds. <laughs> that's right. Because it's 10 Hail Marys, and then it's, uh, you know, uh, 20 Hail Marys the next week. And then, God. you know, by... <laughs> Keenan, you you got some you got some hail marrying to do. I, think. I mean, I I you know again, I didn't have any sins back then, but I got them now. And oh so, yeah, so yeah. it's compound interest up the wazoo <laughs> for sure. <laughs> do you know the um the Flanders boys? They when the Simpson kids go to live with the Flanderses and they um they're watching you know lame religious TV. Right, right. And, and they're watching this show about sheep and it's mm -hmm. the two brother sheep and they're talking to the, the older sheep. Um, he says, it's not fair. My brother Jeremiah has a sin to confess and I have none. <laughs> Don't you see, Josiah? You do have a sin to confess. The sin of envy. <laughs> blah, blah, blah. And you come back to the Flanderses and, uh -huh. and Todd says, well, that's all well and good for sheep, but what are we to do? <laughs> <laughs> Oh, if we could all just be sheep, it would be so much simpler. <laughs> be so much simpler. We'd have sins to confess. Yeah. <laughs> oh, boy. But yeah, actually, folks, I'm not 100% sure whether Marin is praying the rosary right now or he's just holding the rosary while he's doing some normal prayers. Um, he's uh, saying the Hail Mary, which is one of the prayers that you do say 
uh, on the rosary. Um, and for those who don't know, basically what you do is you kind of like the rosary has all those little beads as kind of like a, uh, a way of keeping track of how many prayers you're supposed to say. So there's a bunch of little beads. And for those you say the Hail Marys and, uh, there's like larger, more decorative beads. And for those you say, um, a, heart, a Lord's prayer, um, and you just kind of like go through the, uh, um, uh, the chain. Um, uh, and then there's a couple of other, um, uh, more, uh, um, uh, singular prayers in there, but I've forgotten, uh, uh, what they are. Right. So you, to, to pray the rosary is a specific thing that you do with rosary, a rosary and rosary yes. beads. Yeah. So we're not sure what he's doing here, but, yeah. um, yeah. And then a rosary is, you know, could be very personal, like, like the actual physical uh, item of the rosary can be a very oh, personal yes. artifact. Right. So it can be handed down. It can be like your mother's, right? Like right. I have my grandmother's for example. Oh, oh that's yeah. nice. Yeah. yeah. When, when my gra- grandmother passed away, uh, you know, she was in the hospital and we mm-hmm. had, during COVID, which was a very difficult time. And, mm-hmm. and there was a fear that we wouldn't be able to get her rosary. It was the, one of the things that she wanted, you know, cause they, oh. you, they weren't letting people, you know, into into the um the isolation wards right and there was right, all this right. question about that so you couldn't get a priest in there you had to get a priest mm-hmm. over zoom but then yeah eventually they would let her have the rosary at least because it was mm, like yeah you know as she you know she was in her 80s and as she knew she was dying right she was mm-hmm. like well i need my rosary it's such yeah. an important part of yeah my faith and i don't want to pass on without it yeah and yeah so you might find people praying the rosary during times of trial, like, mm-hmm. uh, like right now, right? The, you know, uh, Marin is praying for strength. Um, or if Chris was Catholic, she might be praying the rosary for Reagan. Um, mm-hmm. or you might do it for a sick person or, uh, if somebody's in trouble and, uh, you're praying for them. Right. And Chris is not Catholic, so she don't know what to do. She's mm-hmm. going to, she's going to come in here and doing all sorts of nonsense she's to keep interrupting her hands his... busy. <laughs> <laughs> but it's classic Marin, right? He doesn't, he doesn't, uh, you know, say anything about that. Classic Marin. Classic Marin. That's so Marin. <laughs> we already did that. Um, but yeah, uh, before Chris comes in, uh, we're, we're still looking at, uh, at, uh, this rosary, uh, we're looking at the cross, um, hanging from it. And we, we see that Marin's hand is shaking a little bit. Um, I couldn't tell if that was to show that he was scared or to show that he is old or if it was just like a part of the rhythm of the prayer or maybe it's like all of those things. Keenan, what do you think? Oh, that's interesting. I don't see him as being scared. So I took mm. that. I don't see him being scared, you know, basically the whole movie. Mm-hmm. So maybe that's me sort of, you know, jumping towards the end and knowing how this ends. But I, I take it more as the the illness part of it, you know, the, um, mm. the physical weakness of him and his circulatory problems. No, you're right. I don't know why I thought that, right? He's he's not scared. He's mm-hmm. he's I mean, if anything, maybe maybe he's scared for Reagan, possibly, mm-hmm. or for the, you know, like like he's hoping for the success of the exorcism. Right. But no, it does seem more like he's, or just maybe that his his body is going to fail him. Um, right. At this at this most important time. But yeah, we could also simply read the shaking as part of his illness. Yeah. Right. Um, I sent you a, a screenshot because I don't think you've seen the Seventh Seal, the Ingmar Bergman movie that is like Max von Sydow's other oh, most I did, famous. I did. Oh, you have seen it. Yeah, oh, I think we, I think we talked about it on the show. Oh, good. I bet you. I bet you love it. Yeah, <laughs> it's yeah. so good. Yes, yeah, so I does... did love it. I saw it. <laughs> But this shot does sort of recall um, Grim Reaper playing chess. <laughs> yeah, but there's you know other other shots of him like so again he's he's probably the most famous person in international cinema who's in the movie right. Yeah. Ellen Burstyn is um, is known um, as a supporting actor at this point, mm-hmm. but um, she's going to become a star you know after right. this movie. But yeah, Max von Sydow in these Ingmar Bergman movies, um, he plays this uh, this 
knight who is mm-hmm. struggling with his faith and um he sees death and he wants to see he wants to get to know death more so that he can um death can convince him that god is real right he wants mm-hmm. to go see, see god so yeah so there's a lot of shots of him praying um so that's like you know one of the more iconic shots in max von Sydow's career is him by himself and then praying and it's it's similar yeah. not exactly like friedkin is uh, aping that or parroting that right, right. Uh, but it is similar to compare them um where he's bowing his head but um and and you know it his prayer in the seventh seal is kind of a prayer of like frustration and desperation right um as opposed to this one which isn't and then of course because uh bergman um and most people in sweden i don't know i don't know if most people but the dominant religion in sweden is uh lutheran uh huh. lutheran um, christianity so mm-hmm. they don't have a reliance as much on like rosaries or relics like that so mm-hmm. he's just holding um his own hand and then in uh, in the bergman film he's sometimes like finding um older relics like uh like statues and stuff and like trying to right. you know hold on to them because he's so isolated and alone right oh that's really interesting yeah. yeah yeah and so here so even if it doesn't exactly mirror this image um you think uh, uh, Max von Zito fans will be reminded? They'll be like, "Oh yeah, Seven Seal. right? Exactly. Which I definitely saw. <laughs> Just like I read Paradise Lost. No. Just like I'm reading Paradise Lost now. <laughs> <laughs> I swear to you, because we're doing bonus episodes in Paradise Lost for people yes. who aren't listening to this bonus episode. Yeah. I swear they to may you, or may Lester. Not still be in the feed. Yeah. <laughs> right. I swear to you, Lester. My eyes are going down the page in Paradise Lost. <laughs> So I don't know if that counts as reading, <laughs> but my eyes are seeing the words. I don't know if I understand what's yeah. going on. But it's famously tough, folks. <laughs> I have like seventeen tabs open as I'm as I'm trying to decipher this, and we got this. Uh, this is a bit like this isn't even the, the 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 bonus episode. But let me just tell you, we're reading the, the part with Adam and Eve now, and oh boy, oh boy. If 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 two naked people could be less interesting. <laughs> And again, I'm totally reading it. I don't see any nudity in these pages <laughs> as my eyes go down the page. But <laughs> Anyway, anyway. Right. But as I'm looking at this shot and knowing about Max von Sydow and knowing like yeah. that's how movie stars sort of work, right? Or mm. like major actors, you, you sort of compare and contrast them. And, and people who do um, criticism in, in the realm of star studies, it's called, talk about that as their persona, right? Like if you've seen The Seventh Seal, it's impossible for you to entirely put that away as you watch Max von Sydow in a similar shot. So mm. even if Free Friedkin isn't trying to do that, and probably Max von Sydow isn't like, oh, I'm going to bring out the stuff from my <laughs> from my uh, my bag of tricks to bring out the big guns, right? Like right. this is my free bird, right? Is this sort mm-hmm. of shot? Um, even if that's not what's going on in terms of what the filmmakers are doing, yeah, audiences, mm-hmm. you know, if you have that prior knowledge, you can't help but but know that, right? Right. And for yeah. me, it was the opposite, right? Knowing The Exorcist growing up and then discovering the Bergman films, I do it backwards, right? Mm-hmm. And say like, oh, look, look, this is Father Marin in the Seventh Seal. Right. Yeah. Yeah. What's Father Marin doing in the Seventh Seal? <laughs> She's got a little girl to save. Get out of my seventh seal, Father Marin. <laughs> you got your Father Marin in my seventh seal. You got your seventh seal in my Father Marin. Right, exactly. And Reese's made a billion dollars. <laughs> Yeah, but there is a famous shot in The Seventh Seal where he learns that a witch is going to get burned, and she is right. like a young girl. Mm-hmm. Um, she, she might be around Reagan's age, and mm-hmm. and he goes and looks, and, and he's not trying to stop it. He's not allowed to stop it, um, right. but he does want to be there uh, to see what it looks like when someone dies, and, and mm-hmm. he, he's trying to see if um, you know if he could see God in her eyes, and then afterwards, like, well, do you see it? And she's he's like, no, there's nothing no. there. Yeah. yeah. So it is like the opposite of what happens in The Exorcist, I suppose, in some yeah, ways. Yeah, yeah. Check it out, folks. The Seventh Seal, a real laugh riot. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the dance numbers alone is just... <laughs> oh, boy. That's funny. Do you mean that? There's, it ends with a dance number. I, well, yes. <laughs> I forgot about that until now. 
It's the iconic like poster. That's, yes. that's very funny. <laughs> it's like a conga line or something. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. And you, you can definitely tell which one's the Grim Reaper because it's, it's the big scythe. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, so in any case, we cut from here, and now we see the room that we are in. This is the living room. So Marin's sitting in a white love seat by the fireplace, and Chris has just come in with a cup of tea and a little saucer. Uh, Marin hasn't noticed her yet. He's still deep in prayer, um, quietly, unobtrusively. She goes over, and she puts the cup and the saucer down in front of him, just as he is finishing up the Hail Mary. Marin's had one hand in front of his face, perhaps to block out distraction, and now he takes it away. He discovers the coffee. Um, Chris says, excuse me, as she uh, now goes over to build up the fire, and Marin says, thank you. Mm -hmm. And there's actually a little bit more of this exchange in the book. I want to read it for you here. Let's have a listen. A reading from the Book of Blatty. Marin glanced back to Chris. I should have asked you. You don't mind if we begin right away. She'd been watching him, glowing with relief at the sense of decision and direction and command sweeping into the house like sun-drenched day. No, I'm glad, she said gratefully. But you must, you must be so tired, Father Marin. The old priest saw her anxious gaze flicking upward toward the raging of the demon. Would you like a cup of coffee? She was asking in a voice that was insistent and faintly pleading. It's hot and fresh made. Would you like some? Marin saw the hands, lightly clasping and unclasping, the deep caverns of her eyes. Yes, I would, he said warmly. Thank you. Something heavy had been gently brushed aside, told to wait. If you're sure, it's no trouble. Chris led him to the kitchen, and soon he was leaning against the stove with a mug of black coffee in his hands. Chris picked up a liquor bottle. Want some brandy in that, father? She asked him. Marin bent his head and looked down into the coffee mug without expression. Well, the doctors say I shouldn't, he said. But thank God, my will is weak. Chris blinked and stared blankly, unsure of his meaning, until she saw the smile in his eyes as he lifted his head and held out his mug. Yes, thank you, I will. With a smile, Chris poured the liquor. What a lovely name you have, Marin told her as she did so. Chris McNeil. It's not a stage name. Trickling brandy into her coffee, Chris shook her head. No, I'm really not Sadie Glotz. Thank God for that, murmured Marin with lowered eyes. With a gentle, warm smile, Chris sat down. And what's Lancaster, father? So unusual. Were you named after someone? I think perhaps a cargo ship, Marin murmured as he stared off absently. Lifting the coffee mug to his lips, he sipped, then reflected. Or a bridge. Yes, I suppose it was a bridge. Turning his gaze to Chris, he looked ruefully amused. Mm, but now, Damien, he said. How I wish I had a name like that. So lovely. Where does it come from, father, that name? It was the name of a priest who devoted his life to taking care of the lepers on the island of Molokai. He finally caught the disease himself. Marin looking aside. Lovely name, he said again. I believe with a first name like Damien, I might even be content with a last name like Glutz. Chris chuckled. She unwound, felt easier, and for minutes, she and Marin spoke of homely things, little things. Finally, Sharon appeared in the kitchen, and only then did Marin move to leave. It was as if he had been waiting for her arrival, for immediately he carried his mug to the sink, rinsed it out, and placed it carefully in the dish rack. That was good. That was just what I wanted, he said. Chris got up and said, I'll take you to your room. Marin thanked her and followed her to the door of the study, where she told him, If there's anything you need, Father, just let me know. He put his hand on her shoulder, and as he squeezed it lightly and reassuringly, Chris felt a warmth and a power flowing into her, as well as a feeling of peace and an odd sense of something that felt like, What? she wondered. Safety? Yes, something like that. You're very kind, she said. His eyes smiled. He said, thank you. 
He removed his hand, and as he watched her walk away, a sudden tightening of pain seemed to clutch at his face. He entered the study and closed the door. From a pocket of his trousers, he slipped out a tin marked Bayer Aspirin, extracted a nitroglycerin pill, and placed it carefully under his tongue. Okay, so what do we make of this extra little bit of exchange? Yeah, I'm glad you brought it up. So I'm from Hawaii, as, as you ah. said a little bit on the show. And so when I hear Father Damien, as we have in our movie, I think instantly of Father Damien, the, the one that is referenced here. Right. right. Um, so when I, uh, when I did read the book... Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. No, that was surprising for me to see that. That okay, yeah. So of course, Blatty un- Blatty knows the the term Father Damien is this really right. super famous person because I was wondering about that. Um, so we see how that's an intentional choice that that Damien yes. Karras is named after Father Damien, who mm-hmm. um is a saint now. I don't think mm-hmm. he would would have been a saint at the time of uh, right because they would call him Saint Damien, I suppose. Oh, right. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so um so that he is aware of that. So in Hawaii, they they talk a lot about Father Damien. He's one of the most mm-hmm. famous people. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, I was growing up in, well, in the 80s and there was, um, we, you know, as a child, we weren't necessarily taught about like, oh, you know, we got colonized essentially. And we right. <laughs> and, uh, and so the Catholic Church uh, came in and was part of that colonization process okay. and, and all that. And like questioning the um, questioning whether we should be holding up like saints as part of like Hawaiian history as opposed to native people. Right. right, right. And so that conversation happens a little bit. But yeah, when I was a kid, at least um, Father Damien was someone who was just like synonymous with the founding, uh, as it were, quote mm. quote, of Hawaii and um, yeah. and like civilizing it. And so he yeah, he went to the leper colony in Molokai. So mm-hmm. they had um, they all throughout the islands, they would put people who had uh, leprosy onto Molokai, and then they would um, they found a peninsula near the edge of the island to found the leper colony there. Right, right. So this was the entire kingdom's leper colony, and then Father Damien went there. I mean, as much. So I don't know. So now I'm I'm not sure about how much of it is me, like um, uh, you know, as a kid who only got my Hawaiian history education up to like the age of eight. <laughs> but I mean, what Father Damien did, I think, is pretty extraordinary. So he was yeah. going and ministering to the lowest of the lows and really living mm-hmm. a life of Jesus and right. and like and like working with people who were were shunned and like you know put away. Um, mm-hmm. and then and then got the disease himself and then lived the rest of his life there. Um, right, right. and so the leper colony and and now we would call it Hansen's disease. Like that's still right. something that in Hawaii is very famous and they're dealing with. So my grandmother, who I just talked about, was a nurse mm. um, in that leper colony. You know, mm. was, well, by then again, it was the um, the Hansen's disease, uh, right, <laughs> where they, right. they, they, they destigmatized it even more. But so, right. yeah, so, I, you know, again, like, as we watched The Exorcist when I was a kid, I was like, well, Father Damien, that must be something. And then not not see that at all anywhere mm. in the movie, right? That's not yeah. mentioned. But then to talk about his name in the book, I was like, oh, there. Okay, it's there. <laughs> so I'm not right, crazy yeah. <laughs> that now, like, we're making this connection between Karis and, and the real Father Damien. Right, right, yeah. And and uh, folks, not to be um, inelegant, um, <laughs> but uh, well, I'm not. I'm not even going to finish that. I'm just going to say, you know, interesting that we get that we got uh, Father Damien. Father Damien is who contracts like the disease himself. Father Damien, right? Yes. <laughs> There we go. There we go. No, I think that's really, really wonderful. Yeah. I like it. Yeah. Yeah. Why, no, why really did good. you want to talk about this exchange? Like, what, what do you think about it? That's that's first thing for me is how he doesn't want coffee or need coffee. Mm-hmm. Um, but he sees that Chris 
needs him to need coffee. Mm -hmm. Um, So he accepts it. I really like that little touch. Um, Again, folks, it's like his ego has been turned inside out. Uh, Mm -hmm. Like where other people would be thinking of themselves, he sees every little detail about someone else's situation. I'm even remembering right now something as little as our last minute when uh, he asks Damien, are you very tired in the Mm -hmm. movie? In the book, he says, you look very tired. Are you very tired? Just that extra little bit to reassure Karis that he sees him, sees his tiredness. Tiredness. You look very tired. Are mm-hmm. you very tired? Right. Just little things like that. So, so not only can Marin see through you uh, or discern you like really easily, just just like Howdy, mm-hmm. but he is continually using it for good. Like like oh, Father Karis, rather than well, well, well. So it's you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and so so. He also seems to have this fascination with names. Right. Um, we're going to see uh, uh, more of that later on too. Maybe uh, maybe uh, the later bit is just part of the ritual, but he's he's going on about how beautiful everyone's names are. And we know it's genuine because again, you know, Shakespeare rules, he's, he's talking about Damien's name when Damien isn't there. Mm-hmm. Um, and also I, I just love how he still has only just met Damien, but he can still find something to admire about him in his name. Right. I think it's interesting in the book asking about Chris's stage name, whether that's a stage name or, uh, stage name uh-huh. or not, right? And so obviously like Blatty has created a Chris McNeil, like he's, he's thought about it as a character, like right. what would be this great name, right? And, mm-hmm. and you're a writer and, and like sometimes you can spend way too much time thinking about like what's oh, the yeah. perfect name how does it feel in your in your tongue right as mm-hmm. it comes out right and then sometimes it just it just procrastination because you don't want to write right but right, yeah. yeah but like thinking about that and if um you know that was very common in uh in hollywood obviously especially in the old days of having stage names there's still yeah. uh trying to think of who might have oh oh there's still people nick nick cage is a stage name right tom yeah. cruise is a stage name right uh-huh. he's william he's a tom mathaper yeah, yeah. yeah so there's still some of that going on but back in the old days it was almost by default they would change your name mm. um so like uh john wayne do you know maybe we should uh do you know these uh are you good with these uh no no okay. i know i'm 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 terrible at these. <laughs> oh okay good, yeah john wayne was marion morrison Oh, which okay. is a you know terrible name if you're trying to be macho for a cowboy, and, right? for a cowboy guy, right? So John yeah. Wayne, very yeah. simple, right? Judy Garland is a uh, Francis Ethel Gum, G U M M. You know that that won't do. Get rid of that. Yeah, 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 yeah Judy yeah. now. Yeah. <laughs> um, Joan Crawford is Lucille Lucer, which I like. Yeah, Lucille like, Lucer. Yeah, yeah, I like Lucille Lucer. So that I don't sounds, know. That sounds like it's like you know. Yeah. <laughs> um, and that one's crazy because they. Um, they had a, a contest in a magazine and they're like, uh-huh. hey, what name should we give our new movie star? And people wrote in to rename <laughs> rename Lucille oh, Lucer. Wow. Yeah, that you got stuck with Joe. So yeah, can you imagine that? Like you have no um, consultation, just your your company is like, your name is Lucille, or your name is um, Joan Crawford from now on. Oh no. <laughs> 2024's audience is going to break you over the coals. <laughs> Joan Crawford. And then... Um, Poopy Archie. Butt Duty Head. <laughs> exactly. Poopy Butt Duty Head. Or Bodie McBoatface. Like when um, mm-hmm. when uh, when he's talking about, oh, I was probably named after a boat or a bridge. Uh-huh. It was like, oh, Bodie McBoatface. <laughs> <laughs> contest, right? <laughs> or there was like the Chuck Norris Bridge they were going to name. And people were like, no, we can't name this a Chuck Norris Bridge. This contest Chuck is over. Yeah. Or the, uh, the Stephen Colbert Bridge, right? But yeah, Bodie McBoatface. If you name it the and... Chuck Norris Bridge, nobody's going to want to cross it. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Don't you dare cross the Chuck Norris Bridge. The Chuck Norris Bridge burns you. (laughs) Watch out, everybody. London is falling down. (laughs) But not the bridge, because it's the Chuck Norris Bridge. bridge. (laughs) Yeah, what do they end up naming it? Hmm. The McGarry Bridge. 
Boring. Oh, okay. <laughs> I, mm, all right. Sure. Boo, boo. Whatever, whatever floats your boat. <laughs> yeah, they won the name of the Chuck Norris Bridge, and that was winning in the contest. And then Stephen uh-huh. Colbert uh, on the Colbert Report took over, and he was like, name it the Stephen Colbert Bridge. <laughs> and then the, the Hungarians who were holding this like, this is over. This contest is <laughs> done. We're not going to have Americans naming our bridge after their... <laughs> So yes, the M E G Y E R bridge. Okay, well, there we go. All right, let me give you just one more stage name, which was right. um, Archie Mc- Archie Leach. Archie Leach. Yeah, okay. and he okay. became he became uh, Cary Grant. Oh, because okay. <laughs> Ar- Ar- Archibald Leach it wasn't going to work out for them. <laughs> yeah, you know it's weird. Like with these with these names, you mm. can kind of see like once you hear them, it's like yeah, she looks like a gum. <laughs> Judy Garland looks like a gum. I mean, I'm just, you know, not in a negative way. Of course not in a negative, like, a, you know, like a, you know, one of those um, zero calorie gums. <laughs> with xylitol. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, Judy Garland, now with xylitol. She's, she's filled with xylitol. Oh, yeah. And they, all other they, manner of things. inject her with xylitol in the morning to keep her up, and they <laughs> pop her with xylitol pills in the evening to keep her down. Yep, yep, yep. <laughs> oh, jeez. We um, went too far. <laughs> we didn't do it. That was that was a, that was a um, that was MGM's fault. That was a Chuck Norris too far. <laughs> oh, you're right. It's absolutely M- M- MGM. Right. We didn't do it. Um, but yeah. So if mm. it, it had not occurred to me, even though again I read the book, yeah, it had not occurred to me that we're thinking about this. Like Chris McNeil yeah. is like Shirley MacLaine. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So 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 there we go. Mm-hmm, this mm-hmm. is supposed to be Shirley MacLaine. Yeah. Um, and so her real name is Shirley McLean Beatty. Uh-huh. So she takes her mother's name for her stage name. Right. Um, uh, but it's, of course, it's McLean as we spell it is M A C capital L A I N E. Right. And so her her real name is looks more like MacLean. Right. Right. Yeah. Right. Right. And then her brother Warren Beatty takes Beatty, but their original Beatty is B E A T Y, and uh-huh. then adds a T in there. So they both take their real family names, but mm-hmm. have to change the spelling so people don't go like, what it, Miss Mc- McLean mm-hmm. or Mr. Beatty? Right, right. <laughs> so it's their real, I don't know if that counts as a stage name, but it's their real names. Yeah, oh no, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. But they tweak it around. Tweak it a yeah. little bit, right? Right. You know, and sometimes it's because, um, you know, their, their great grandfathers burned witches and uh, <laughs> they don't want to be associated with that. <laughs> So they had a little W in their name. <laughs> well, no, I'm not Hawthorne. I'm, I'm Nathaniel Hawthorne. Yes. I'm not a Nathaniel Haythorne. No. I, I, I bet it was more because of you. Know, how do you pronounce Hawthorne without? It? Oh yeah, <laughs> right. Is it, is it Hawthorne? Is it Haythorne? Yeah. <laughs> a lot of a lot of different ways to spell Lester. Um, oh yeah. The, yeah. Well, yeah. No, no, no. There's there's the the British way. Oh, right? of like, course. It's like L E I C E S T E R. Right. It's just so wrong. Like like Leicester. Right. Yeah. Get yeah. get with the program, England. <laughs> Learn I mean, to speak saying, English, like, England. You know, when I become when I become a famous writer, that'll mm-hmm. be my that'll be my you know. Or oh, I've I've been thinking, Alistair. You're gonna go by Alistair. Alistair. Alistair Clark with an E at the end. Yes, with an E, <laughs> with an extra E. <laughs> Just adding A's and E's. <laughs> oh yeah, that's class. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> The third, <laughs> yeah. Um, but anyway, yeah, yeah. Um, oh, and actually, okay. So yeah, so so back to uh, Marin's fascination with names, right? Mm, yeah. This is this is the first time I'm realizing this too. Maybe uh, uh, another mirror with Captain Howdy. Mm-hmm. So Marin is acknowledging and praising everyone's name, right? Everyone in this house, this little circle of love that Chris has created, and that Marin is now 
tending and protecting. Everyone has a name. All of them have names. Reagan has a name and, in fact, is given even more of her name because of Marin. That's a little bit later. Mm -hmm. um, he's thinking about Damien's name. He's talking about Chris's name. Howdy has no name. Right. He is an intruder in this circle. And more than that, like uh, we can read it as, oh, they have names and he doesn't because he's evil. But even more than that, I don't know if Marin or even Blatty is uh, doing this consciously, but by Marin focusing so much on the family's names and their identities, he is also breaking the spell that Howdy has cast with these with these fake identities, both the fake identities that he's trying to give each of the family members, right? Like, well, 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 so it's you. He's trying to get Karis to believe that he is the worst version of himself, right? Okay. Like, mm -hmm. that's your identity, right? Mm -hmm. um, but on then also the fake identities uh, that he has created for himself, for Howdy, mm -hmm. right? Uh, Marin is gently reminding us and revealing to us that Howdy doesn't really have an identity, and this charming devil that we've we've uh, come to know and love throughout the book is another facade. Um, I said in the in the last minute that Marin became my favorite character as soon as he arrived. Um, something else happened as soon as he walked through that door. Up to this point, we've we've sort of been reveling in all the little uh, uh, differences the book presents to us in regards to Howdy's personality. Right? He's snarky. He's a master chess player. He's Hannibal Lecter. He's articulate. He's eloquent, and uh, you know, very good at being bad. And we we relish that in a villain. Right? Mm -hmm. We we love a Moriarty or a Joker. <laughs> But as soon as Marin walked through the door, something happened to me. I was like, okay, we're done. Howdy's got to go. Um, it, it's, it's like Marin lifted the veil and you see that like what Howdy really is. Like he's not a dashing devil. He's a murderer rapist. He is mm -hmm. a, a, a bug. He is a pestilence. He, he is that thing that needs to be gone, right? You know how like – like they say a leech's saliva has like a numbing agent that makes it so that you you don't feel it, right? You don't know it's there until you like lift your leg out of the water and and you see it's just like like covered in black little worms, right? That's why I don't go in the water. <laughs> yeah. And they all got their like little teeth in you oh, and they've yeah. been sucking on your blood, right? That's what Howdy is. But we didn't know it because, you know, because of that numbing agent, right? <laughs> and then Marin came in. He showed us that. He's like, he's like, lift up your leg out of the water. And we did. And we see it's like there are so many. It's like it's like hair on your legs, right? <laughs> Except we've been there. Our leg has been under that water for so long that all these leeches are like fat and bloated, right? Mm. Or Keenan, have you have you ever seen those those pictures of uh, tick and infestations on humans? Yeah, that's why I don't like, go outside. Yeah. <laughs> just like like even just like a single tick that's right. like bloated with blood and, and you like is, see the, yeah it, it starts to look like blood right it starts yeah it looks right blood red yeah and it's like up it, it's blown up like a balloon it's it's like like willy wonka's like blueberry thing right and it's like that that shouldn't exist in nature right, right? but but like howdy is like like a colony of ticks under your shirt, right? And you look down and you see them for the first time. You like really see them and you're like, oh God, how was I ever like charmed by you? This right. is this is disgusting. This is a nightmare. <laughs> and and that's what Marin has done for us. He has made us see Howdy for what it is. And he has come with a solution. He is that expert doctor who's going to remove these disgusting things, these ticks, these leeches from your arm or your stomach or whatever. You, and, and you're like, oh, thank God. So right. he's going to convince you to take off your devil Halloween costume, <laughs> throw it in the fire. Right. You know what? <laughs> if that's what, if it's, if that's where the ticks were coming from. <laughs> so yeah, Chris has set down the coffee. Uh, Marin has noticed it. He has said, thank you. And we cut and we are now over Marin's shoulder. Chris has knelt down in front of the fireplace to either uh, start or build up the fire. Keenan, was there a fire going? Like just like really low or, or was there no fire? I think like, I don't see anything. No, I think there's no fire. 
Okay. And it's interesting in the next couple of uh, scenelets, we're going to be pretty near fireplaces a couple times. And yeah. Yeah. So I'm glad you're talking about this with the um, with the ticks. I was thinking about this. This might be similar mm. where this house is cold, right? Yes. This house is freezing and they it feels like the McNeil household has sort of gotten used to that, right? And we've seen yeah. how in the past, like we've seen Sharon keeping a coat by the door to Reagan's right, room right. and like we're just dealing with this. But now there's a company coming over and they're like, well, geez, this is kind of like embarrassing you know do you, do you ever get that like you have a company over after a while like oh this is a little bit dirtier than I, my house is a little bit messier than i remember it or whatever and you find do yourself i like, ever like every single time someone comes over <laughs> right exactly and you're like, you know oh. how i solve that problem <laughs> wow i say don't come over <laughs> you know i have stacks of books everywhere right yeah and yeah. like i just live with that and then when someone mm-hmm. comes over i'm like oh actually that's kind of embarrassing <laughs> that i just have like i hoard books right right so and i'm like oh so even though i'm trying to enjoy their company and like be there like i find myself cleaning up in front of them and even right, if they don't right. care about it right so i wonder if that's like the same with the mcneil household they're like oh god someone's in here and like jesus it's freezing in here yeah <laughs> and so so let's start this fire and let's like like mm-hmm. we see that happening again like okay we're not just going to be living like this forever like maybe it's like this is the beginning of the end let's get back to normal um right some of it i think is just like jeez um even though Marin is not a judgy person right like like no, the idea yeah. of like having a witness to your life and seeing for the first time right. these things that you have taken for granted like the colony of ticks in the back of your yeah. neck <laughs> that you just live with. <laughs> oh, they're just my little buddies. And like, you know, <laughs> right. Don't name the ticks. Don't this name the yeah. ticks. <laughs> I'm all about names, but don't name the ticks. <laughs> oh, it's too late. It's too late. You have named them. <laughs> <laughs> He's already got a little league game. It's it's just. Uh, <laughs> yeah. As long as you yeah. haven't made them sign a lease, you've made them sign no, a no. lease. <laughs> Is it a, just at least tell me it's a month to month? No. <laughs> oh, 12 months with an option to renew. This is terrible. <laughs> are they are they subleasing at least? No. No. <laughs> They're the primary tenant. <laughs> anyway, anyway, yeah. So so uh so Chris is making the fire now, and Marin says, Thank you very much. Mm-hmm. As he's uh I think he's he's putting the rosary away. Mm-hmm. Um, Chris uh, turns. Uh, she has just knelt down, and she looks at him as she says very quietly, "You're welcome." And her face and her voice broke my heart, mm-hmm. Keenan. Um, I said in the last minute how uh, childlike everyone seems right. in Marin's presence. Chris looks so young here. There's there's like this shyness. Uh, listen to how quietly she says, "You're welcome." Mm-hmm. Um, but like, there's also like a curiosity. Like, look at how like she lights the match, and as soon as she hears him sipping mm-hmm. the the coffee, she sort of like steals a glance at him. She wants to look at him, and her eyes are so big, like a like a child. She's taking it all in. Mm-hmm. But the rest of her face tells a different story. You can see the redness under her eyes and the bruises healing, mm-hmm. um, and that that mixed with this childlike expression, you just want to grab Marin and be like, please help her. You're the only one who can do it, please. Right. But yeah, so she turns back to the fire, but she can't resist. She's, she's got to talk to him too. She, she turns back and she says, would you like some brandy in that, father? Mm-hmm. Again, like wanting to do something, wanting to help, uh, you know, and again, this, this shy, almost inaudible whisper um, and the word father, again, like almost feeling like she is talking to her actual father. Right. Um, and almost inaudible, like like as if she, I mean, she's getting used to it with father 
Karis, I suppose. But right. at the beginning of the movie, she she's not even really sure how to address Catholic priests, right? Like she right, right. she has Father Dyer over and and mm-hmm, you know mm-hmm. is like, oh, this is weird. He's like tells jokes and <laughs> mm-hmm. how weird it is, right? And now yeah, now with him, and she remarks the, that in the book, she's like, you're not like you know, it's right. like, like you're not like what I would expect a priest to be. Right? He's like, what do you expect a priest to be? <laughs> 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 and, then, <laughs> and then uh yeah, that's not that's not like a placeholder, like like. Uh, <laughs> Father Dyer actually did yeah, that's that. What he actually does, right? That's when they didn't invite him back again. <laughs> but with Marin, Marin feels like what she would expect a priest to act like, right? Yes. Um, and so and so she is even more like odd and not sure what mm-hmm. to do. And you know, as a as as myself as an atheist, uh, you know, even though I um knew priests when I was a kid and like again went to the rectory and and, and my mother did business with them or uh, helped them with accounting work and that kind of thing. Yeah. Like still today when I meet a priest I'm like, oh I hope I'm not, you know, just by my just by being myself, I hope I'm not an affront to them. I hope I'm not being mm-hmm. offensive to them. Right. And so she's yeah. she's trying to parse that out. Like how do I act around this this person? Right. Yeah. Who is and what might, I expect a priest to be. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And it like it might it might even be like she like like she feels the 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 word father when she right. looks at him mm-hmm. versus like you know Karis she might be doing it like out of respect out of like oh you're a priest so I I I begin with father father right. Karis mm-hmm. right and you know just like Mister but then she looks at him is like oh this guy's a this guy's a father, father. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> right <laughs> um but yeah so so we cut and now we're on the floor with Chris uh sort of behind or over the shoulder she's she's blurry and we see Marin clearly um Grandpa in his favorite chair by the fire <laughs> and, he's, and he's telling us a story. And and he's given us some some life advice. He takes a breath before he begins to speak, and then he starts out very very serious. Mm-hmm. Well, the doctors say I shouldn't. Right? He's like very very serious. Right? Keeps his eyes averted. Mm-hmm. Reaches over to the cup and saucer. There's like a pause, like of a seasoned storyteller. And then he says, "But thank God, my will is weak." Mm-hmm. And he and he looks up, and you see there's this like smile in his <laughs> eyes. His mouth is trying not to smile. Like we we didn't even know that it was a joke, but then he just delivered the punchline. Mm-hmm. Right? And that's the difference, I think, between dad jokes and grandpa jokes. <laughs> dad jokes are all punchline, mm-hmm. right? They make, a, they make a big show of it. Grandpa jokes go to serious places. <laughs> and you think it's like going to be this serious life lesson or like a story about the war. And then they just, and they just look up with this little half smile and you're like, oh, I get it now. Life is crazy, right? Life is funny and scary and horrible, but like also, you know, like beautiful and, and grandpas get it because they lived it. <laughs> uh, I like the idea of him being grandpa here. So we've seen mm. this couch he's on before when yeah. uh, Father Dyer and Mary Jo were on it. And, right. and they just look smaller. I went back and looked at that scene again and mm-hmm. they just look smaller and it looks like there's even more room in that couch for them. Right. And now, even though mm-hmm. like, and I'm remembering it in my mind, right. I'm not, I'm, I'm not uh, seeing the, 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 the shot in front of me, mm-hmm. but isn't, isn't father Dyer, like he's like all spread out in the chair too. Right? And he has yeah plenty of room left. <laughs> so, he's, so he's trying to make himself as big as possible. And right. he's still not as big as Marin, who's kind of like, like tucked into himself as he's sitting. Exactly, right? exactly. So Marin has left room on the couch. He, you know, it's a love seat, and if I'm alone in the love seat, I do spread out. You know, like treated mm-hmm. like a like a single chair, right? But yeah, right. but he's he's actually to the far end of it, as if like he wants to not take up space. But his presence right. is so big, right, mm-hmm. that he he the couch seems smaller, he seems larger, and, and it feels like he takes up that that space, even though he's not trying to. He's trying to do the opposite. Yeah. Yeah, that's really like, and and again, that just that just adds to the the presence that Marin has, mm-hmm. like without even intending to, right? Like he makes all of us feel small, he makes all of us feel childlike, right? But really, he's like sitting in that chair trying to take up as little space as possible, right? right? Well, and it's also um, getting back to the idea of the grandpa joke. It is it mm-hmm. is so funny, um, you know, you don't expect 
priest to be funny, I suppose. And so the more right. he looks like a priest, <laughs> the yeah. more she doesn't expect him to be funny or that. And this is the most priestly looking priest. <laughs> right. So she's taking it entirely at face value that mm. what he's saying is real, right? Yeah. And we've had uh, Father David Mowry on, on the show, um, right. who is just hysterical um, mm-hmm. and a great podcaster. And he's, you know, he's a podcaster and he's a priest and he's a uh, college professor. Yeah. Um, but mm-hmm. And he's younger than us. <laughs> so, but even so, it's like, it's like at first when you, when you talk to him, you're like, oh, are these jokes? <laughs> like, yeah. When you listen to his work, right, you know he's, mm-hmm. he's funny. Uh, you're yeah. still like, oh, God, am I allowed to be laughing at this <laughs> or whatever? Right, right. Because he's got the... He's got the the uniform on of the, of the yeah. priesthood and everything. So this must yeah. be serious. Stuff. And Father David, when we when we say like, oh, are these jokes? We're, 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 we mean you have such a magnetism to you. You have such a, oh, no, you no, command no, no, no. such a presence, you know. He's hysterical. We're, we're like, are we allowed to laugh? <laughs> yeah, are we allowed, exactly. Are we allowed to laugh? <laughs> yeah. Maybe you have to have um, gone through seminary to be able to laugh at him. <laughs> right, right. These are priest jokes. You, can't, you gotta be a priest to laugh at these. No, no, no he's great. Um, but yeah, so and so now we uh, we cut back, and uh, now we're on Chris, and she is looking at Father Marin, and I read a couple things on her face here. It is the deadpan, not eye rolling because she's not mm-hmm, rolling her eyes, right. but but it's that look that you give a dad or a grandpa mm-hmm. after one of these jokes. It's like I'm not going to laugh at that. <laughs> um, but also, and and this is important. Chris is an old enough child in this situation to realize that the joke was for her benefit. And so we also see in her face gratitude. Mm-hmm. Um, like, I see what you did there is what that look says. Right. Uh, because, because Chris wants to be useful, even in this late stage in the game, even after she's been the one to do the heavy lifting and to bring everyone together, she still wants to be useful in some way. And Marin picks up on that because he's Marin and he gives her this opportunity, just like before in the book, like where you could tell he didn't really want coffee, but like she saw that she needed him to want coffee. Mm-hmm. Um, and now it's now it's the brandy. So we hold on this look of gratitude for a bit, and then she puts down the wood and the matches, and she gets up and takes his coffee. Um, as soon as she leaves the frame, we cut, and now we are with Dimmy. There he is. <laughs> if you were wondering where he was in this minute, now we have our answer. He's he's running up and down the steps like Rocky. No. Um, <laughs> well, no, down, I suppose. All downs here. Descending. Yeah, it's, it's all down. Descending. He's descending. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Actually, I really like this shot here. Mm-hmm. We got Karis running down the steps of Georgetown University. He's backlit with this fog, and he's got his own streetlight and his own long black coat. He is becoming another exorcist. Mm-hmm. No longer a lonely black cloud in search of the rain, as Blatty puts it. His hurried steps have purpose. He has found his purpose, and he is heading to it. As he hurries down the steps, we hear Father Marin's voice carry over from the next scene. Um, and it says, especially important is the warning to avoid conversations with the demon. And as much as I joked in the last minute that this is exactly what Demi has been doing this whole time, um, this this line, Keenan, always gets me. I can remember it hitting me the first time I watched this all the way through as a kid. I feel like it's almost one of those unsung lines in the movie. Mm-hmm. Like, we don't quote it as much as, like, the power of Christ compels you or do you know what you did, mm-hmm. right? But it is a really good line, and it's delivered in a really cool way because we have, firstly— Father Marin saying it, right? Wise man of authority, right? Mm-hmm. Our our adopted father. But but then also, he's not there. It's a disembodied voice, mm-hmm. like the voice of, of Dimmy's memory or the voice of God. And it's played as Dimmy is running. So we get the feeling that this is 
like what is on his mind, right? Yeah. In the script that we have, uh, it, they are two separate scenes. So it is uh, Karis running down the stairs and then he enters and then Marin tells him this in person, which is obviously still what's logically happening in the yeah. movie as it is, right? But through editing, we have um, transposed them together so that, yeah, it's it's what he seems to be thinking as he's running down these stairs and right. hurrying, right? Like he has right. all this physical stuff to do and he has all this mental stuff to do and think about these new rules. Yeah, I really, really like it. Um, And then also like, like just the wording of it, mm-hmm. right? Especially important is the warning to avoid conversations with the demon. One, just just the word choice of warning is gonna is gonna trigger our our lizard brain, mm-hmm. right? Um, but it also implies that this is an established thing. Like that might actually be a warning in the Roman ritual, mm-hmm. and and it gives us this uh, like like weight, and it makes this situation more real. Like these are the established rules, mm-hmm. right? So there are rules to this thing. Karis is over here saying, right, it just doesn't happen anymore, Miss McNeil, and and there are no experts. But Marin is telling us no. There is an established way to do this, right? There are steps, there are guidelines, and there are warnings, and this is one of them. So what do you think about getting this so late as opposed to, I don't know, in Gremlins, we hear it right at the beginning, uh-huh. these are the warnings, uh, you know, and, and, and then we see uh, the, um, what's his name's family, right? Not heeding right. that, those warnings, right? So we don't the have Mc- that. Ca- no, not the McAllister's. You know, Kevin the, McAllister's the... family from Gremlins. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the... the... Oh, shit. I always think that kid is Ralph Macchio, but it's not. No, it's that <laughs> Zach Gallagher as uh, the Billy Peltzer Peltzers, yeah, yes, the Peltzer the Peltzer family Peltzers, right? <laughs> with the with the inventor dad who makes no money. Let's <laughs> go hang out with Howard. <laughs> well, they have that microwave that could probably cost them three thousand dollars in nineteen sure. eighty four. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, but anyway, um, yeah, what do you think about that? Yeah, yeah. That we're only hearing that here at the end, rather than you know at the beginning, and then seeing Damien either by um, by oh by choice or by accident, like not uh-huh. following those rules as they do in the Peltzer family. Well, I think the answer to your question, mm-hmm. or or part of the answer, is that the movie that you mentioned mm-hmm. was a comedy. <laughs> so we would see, yeah, we see the doing, oh, yeah, right. <laughs> So it's like I, I feel like I no I would I would have it no other way mm-hmm. like like I'm I'm trying to think if this this little stipulation were introduced uh, sooner in in The Exorcist mm-hmm. well firstly you wouldn't be able to because like it takes them so long to come to terms with the fact that it is mm-hmm. uh, a possession right so they wouldn't be saying like Doctor Klein wouldn't be being <laughs> like you know important is the warning to not you know talk to the demon right well okay but what if even when when we get Damien on the scene you know at the right. at the beginning of Act Two right okay so he's like maybe he's he's done a little bit of research because we know he does research right, right? um and he's he's gonna read um he has that certainly heard passage. this rule before. Yes, if he has, if he has done his research, right. then this has this has crossed his eyeballs already. Well, he's a learned person who, in addition yeah. to being a priest, studies the occult, and, right. and so he has definitely heard this before, mm-hmm. right? So obviously, he's not heeding that in the beginning. But yeah, what if right. the audience were told that, like, hey, this is something you are supposed to avoid, and then we see Damien getting like seduced by the demon into having mm-hmm. this conversation, mm-hmm. or he's getting you know these problems with his mother are forcing him into breaking these rules? Right. I think it would be a different story. Mm-hmm. I. I think I think as soon as you introduce the don't touch the red button mm-hmm. or you know don't eat the apple right <laughs> then everyone's going to be looking at that apple everyone's going to be like it's like when is when is a uh demon gonna talk to the demon right. when it's like like when when is when is the demon gonna trick him into conversing with him right um and that's that's gonna be like a, a little game that uh that we're gonna that we might get distracted by and maybe maybe Friedkin uh and or Blatty didn't want us to do that maybe rather they both wanted us to like 
realize in horror mm-hmm. that like, you know, the call is coming from inside the house. It's like, wait a minute, we <laughs> right. we already fucked we up. Do, exactly. And there's no taking we it. We haven't back, even started right? and we're and we're screwed. <laughs> yeah, that's really interesting. Um so as you're saying that, I guess another another part of the fun of a horror movie, and again, I don't know if this mm. is a fun horror movie. Right. Like this is I'm not sure it's a fun horror movie. I don't know if Rosemary's Baby is a fun horror movie. But this is as 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 much a fun horror movie as The Seventh Seal <laughs> is Right. A fun musical comedy. Like I think Alien is a fun movie. A- Alien yes. is a fun horror movie and um mm-hmm. The Thing and An American Werewolf right. in Paris. I'm like those are ter- sure. terrifying movies, but you're you're fun being terrified. Whereas right. I don't think the, the Freddy Krueger ones yeah, and Michael Myers absolutely. And, yeah. and Texas Chainsaw but like yeah. yeah, this and Rosemary's Baby, I don't know if they're fun. I think that they're mm. that they are um but anyways, the, the a lot of the This is a stare into the abyss movie. <laughs> right. A lot of the fun of a horror movie uh is in Schadenfreude. Right. Like, yes. like seeing mm-hmm. other people making mistakes and we could be like, oh, I would never do that. Right. I wouldn't mm-hmm. I wouldn't go down that that hallway at night mm-hmm. or I wouldn't do that. Or, you know, in in aliens like, um, hey, can you go get that cat in there? And you're like, well, right. Brett, I would not go and get that cat. Exactly. <laughs> so you yeah. kind of get what you deserve. And it's kind of funny and it's kind of fun. Mm-hmm. And obviously it's horrifying. And we feel smarter. We, we feel, feel smarter. Safer. We feel safer. And like, like we're still terrified of it. And it's awful. But we're like, oh, geez, you know, that that's mm-hmm. that's a lesson we're learned. You know, we, we that we right. would never do that. Right. Um, yeah. And so, yeah, here, I don't know if that if we have that schadenfreude at all. And um, mm. that seems to not be the design of the of the piece. And like you said yeah. at the beginning of this minute, we've been hard on Dimmy, um, you know, about <laughs> making these uh, making these mistakes. Like we've been hard. Uh, some of our listeners have um, written to us and say eh, we've had this in various degrees that we've been too hard on the doctors at the beginning like, right uh, yeah. some of our some of our listeners have written in and like hey uh just just like i as an opinion other people have been actually angry with us right <laughs> that like oh you're being like what would you want to do in this situation etc yeah, and yeah. um you know so my advice to the doctors is that if they didn't want their opinions to be judged they shouldn't have been uh, characters in a movie <laughs> yeah, right. for us to sit back and go like oh you're so stupid oh dimmy mm-hmm. and oh dr tanny and oh dr klein like yeah mm-hmm. we get to observe your opinions and, and get some of that you know um yeah we're, we know better than them in retrospect right, right? that's an intrinsic thing with characters in the movie right. is we compare ourselves to them right we're gonna we're gonna uh we're gonna try to you know find any points where we feel superior we feel it's like well i wouldn't have made that decision. i wouldn't have done like, that, that right. was, yeah. I would have been nicer to my mom, I tell you that. <laughs> yeah, Dimmy, right? <laughs> right. So, yeah, it's their own fault for being characters so that we could observe mm-hmm. and compare themselves. Like, like it's our own fault for being uh, podcasters that people can uh, yes. <laughs> now compare mm-hmm. their opinions to our opinions. So, exactly. So, yeah, we welcome the um, we welcome the feedback. Like, Dr. Absolutely. Dr. Tanny yeah. and Dr. Klein should welcome our feedback. Yeah. The idiots. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, folks, yeah, again, these are... These like this is this is not saying anything about real actual doctors. Oh, right. These are this is Dr. Klein, Dr. <laughs> Tanny, and Dr. Berenger. And foundation. And foundation, right? <laughs> like we can't we can't deny that that Blatty has uh, has written them and Friedkin has uh, has filmed them, right. you know, with a with a little bit of um, you know, tongue in their cheeks. Absolutely, you know? absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But yeah, like Keenan, you like you're talking about like Schadenfreude, right? Um, you know, being present in these horror movies and we kinda like, you know, it it uh, we we almost take pleasure from like you know these killings and these these uh you know these these interesting intricate ways that uh, uh the bad guy like gets these like yeah. you know, these horny teenagers or whatever. Right? <laughs> or I think I think a little bit those doctors right like when when Doctor yeah. Klein gets slapped it's shocking it's terrifying and mm. like I was saying like I I feel bad for Doctor Klein in that moment but but you I mm. also seen it in audience member you know it's like it's fun a little bit right too right, right. to see this guy who like walks in like I'm the hero of this movie all of a sudden and then he gets right. smacked down and breaks his nose and right. right and so I don't know if we get the shot in Freud apart on Damien at all I don't think we ever 
never right. experienced that. But yeah, but maybe if we had, you know, it's, hey, Damien, don't go talking to that demon. And then he goes up and talks to that demon. We might actually have some of that schadenfreude and be like, right, oh, right. yeah, you've been warned. Right. Because we're, we're waiting for that to happen right. if once once it's announced. Right? right. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And we're only now realizing it after it's too late. And that's scary. That's like, oh, no, like. Like, have we already lost? Right. right? Mm-hmm. Um, I, I was about to say, um, like, before you mentioned that, I was like, yeah, there doesn't seem to be any schadenfreude in this movie because it's like, we care about Reagan. We yeah. care about Karis. We care about Chris, mm-hmm. right? Then you mentioned the doctors and I was like, oh, yeah. yeah. And and that slap. And I'm like, yeah, you know. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. You could see how that would happen to people, right? It's it, like, because it's the frustration. Like, even if they they are 100% thinking that that they are in, they are doing good, right. you know, mm-hmm. for Reagan, Um we, the audience, know more than the characters know, mm-hmm. and we are frustrated at that point. And just that slap is just that kind of like lizard brain, like, yeah, you know, like somebody had to do oh, it. Oh, you know, know, again, like like thinking about where we could have made other paths, right, as we're trying to examine what makes this movie so good. So the other, uh, there's a low body count for this movie, so the only other right. body is Burke. And so right. imagine instead, you know, in a different horror movie, perhaps a more conventional horror movie, uh-huh. it would be, we'd be with Sharon as she says, hey, Burke, I got to run to the pharmacy, and I can't do both these, can you stay with... Um, <laughs> Can you stay with Reagan? And we would oh, be in the audience like, oh, oh no, no, no. <laughs> right. And like we would have, we would, even though we care about, you know, Burke, especially because of his relationship with Chris, that's what we really care about. Mm-hmm. We'd still be like, oh, oh, here it is. Yeah. Right. And we sort of like rub our hands together, like, Ooh, exactly. Right. Yeah. <laughs> that's when we were like about to get up to go to the bathroom and they were like, oh, no, we're sitting down. <laughs> right. The, the fun of that horror, uh, of that terror. Right. But instead, what we have is Chris coming in and being like, what the hell is, and then we, and then we learn with her. We're like, oh, shit. Like that's like, so we only see, we don't see any of the fun part. Of of the horror movie right. there. We just see the the terrible part of the horror movie. Right. Yeah. It's it's way closer to like a real life tragedy that surprises you. Right. Yeah. You're like, this was like like Chris comes in and she's and she's, you know, she's mad about like uh, the doctors right. and she's like, you know, everything's everything's chaotic. She's trying to get everything like, you know, get get life settled back down and then and then her best friend is dead. Right. That's not fun. (laughs) No, but but I'm just saying, again, like it would be fun if we had Mm -hmm. made some little changes and and been like, uh, yeah, Burke is going to stay. And then then we'd follow Burke going, "Ah, I'm going to talk to that little bird up there and tell her whatever. We're like, oh, gosh, Burke, Mm -hmm. you kind of are asking for it. Yeah, right. But instead, no, it's like like it's too late. We didn't watch him get killed. Right. We didn't watch him walk into the trap. We didn't know there was a trap. Yeah, we didn't watch Sharon make the mistake and us go, oh, right. Sharon, you done messed up now. Right. So we weren't like smarter than Sharon at that moment. Right. right? Mm-hmm. It already happened. It happened off screen. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah. So uh, so back to this. Right. So so that that, uh, you know, that that little warning that we're getting so late mm-hmm. in the film. Right. To avoid conversations with the demon. Right. And I was talking about uh, uh, earlier how that makes this more real to us. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, there there's there's a routine. There's established rules for for this thing. But also, like, as much as it makes it more real for us, it also harkens back to these old fairy tales mm-hmm. or even like like older like f- like older than fairy tales like these old folk legends and these protections right. like like you know like everybody used to know what to do if you meet a pixie in the woods mm-hmm. right or like like what not to say when making a trade with a leprechaun <laughs> or or like how to keep an evil spirit from following you home like all these all these little bits of wisdom from stories about the invisible world that we have forgotten right but father Marin is here to remind us that the stories both the good 
and the bad are true. Mm -hmm. Um, And we're going to hear more of his wisdom in the next minute. But for now, that is all of my notes. Keenan. Is there anything else? No, that's great. I think we got it. Yeah. All right, folks. This has been another excellent Exorcist Minute. I've been Lester Ryan Clark. You can reach me on all the socials as Lester Ryan Clark. And I've been Keenan Diaz, and you can find me on Instagram and Letterboxd at Howdy Keenan. Yeah, we got our listener group, Compelling Conversations. Go check that out and request to join, and we'll let you in here with us. Thank you so much to everyone who has shared the show by word of mouth or on social media. And a big thank you to everyone who has given us a five-star ratings on iTunes or Spotify, wherever you listen to our show. We really appreciate that. It's going to help our little podcast grow and find more cool people like you. All right, Keenan, are you thinking what I'm thinking? I think I am, Lester. Folks, until next time, the The power power of of Chuck Chuck Norris Norris compels you. Like, like, where does your name come from, Father? It's like, oh, it's from a bridge. It's the Chuck Norris Bridge. <laughs> right. Chuck as in to throw off the bridge. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Little or girl. out a window, if you know what I'm saying. No, but Chuck Norris doesn't get thrown out a window. Chuck Norris throws the window out of the room. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> Do you know what she did? No, Chuck Norris did it. <laughs> That doesn't even make any sense. <laughs> it doesn't have to when it's Chuck Norris. Oh, yeah, that's true. <laughs> Death had a near Chuck Norris experience. <laughs> <laughs> there we go. That's our that's our seventh seal, right? <laughs> right, exactly. Instead of Max von Sydow, it's, uh, it's Chuck Norris. <laughs> and, and, and he wins the chess game and he says, Chuck mate. 